Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say, one thing, but then the next day. It's different, they change, but they don't know what they want. All they do is change, shopyins.com for all your yins wear. Uh, their, their link is sitting right inside of the show notes. It's on the website. It, it's very easy to find. Uh, Craig just sits around all the time with a big yellow Y on, on his head all the time. He's very easy to be found. In fact, you're on their website, aren't you? I'm on their website. <laughs> I wore it to a Penguin game. <laughs> My Penguins hat, I couldn't find it. It was sitting around someplace. I'm like, okay, yeah. put the Y on. Yeah, the Y is because it's going to become like the symbol of Pittsburgh. It's amazing to me. All right. You can get in on the ground floor and get all your yins wear and everything else. Uh, Shopyins.com. All right. So Brian Reynolds and the contract. I love how this is something that's just going to continue to rear its ugly head for, for an infinite amount of days, weeks, months, years. Who knows where this is going to go? Break this down for me like I'm five years old, Craig. Like explain to me, like in a nutshell, because... When, when you're looking on the Twitter and you're trying to put all the articles together, you're really trying to figure out what's going on. So you surmise it for me and the listeners. Right now, I mean, everybody could say it's eight years around $107 million. Since we're already into the season, I just basically take it for what it's worth that he's getting, you know, 6.5, 6.75, whatever it would be for this year, which would be that $7 million. And look at it as he would be getting seven years for a hundred million dollars. The first two of those years would have been his, you know, final arbitration years and five years of free agency. The big hold up at this point in time, it was given that it was like a contextual issue or it was described as something that I, it made it sound a lot crazier than it was. Basically he wants an opt out. He wants an opt out after his first year of free agency So after the 2026 season, he would want an opt-out. And he has even said that he will backload the contract, which would make the contract look a lot more like as if he goes through his final two years of arbitration and then starts to make market value. Okay, so let me see if I'm getting this right then. What he's saying is, and the backloading thing really is what sticks out to me. If he's just basically saying, I want you to buy out the remaining arbitration years and one year of my free agency, and at that point, I can choose to stay with you for the majority of the money on this deal for the next several years after that, or I can leave if I think I can get more on the open market. If the Pirates aren't being held up 
to spend more money than they think they would spend going to arbitration with one of their best players. And the dollar figure in the first few years, because of the backloading, isn't like exorbitantly high. Then what you're really doing is you're getting one extra year of Brian Reynolds before he makes a decision. And you're, you're, I mean, like, I, I don't see, I don't see the problem with that. Cause if he's going to backload it, then what this comes from is it comes from the Manny Machado deal years ago, 10 years, $300 million with an out clause. And then what the, the Padres did is they turned around and they said, okay, fine. Well, uh, as we get close now to this out clause, after several years of you being under this contract, let's renegotiate. We're not even going to give you the opportunity to make that decision. He ended up making more money. It's becoming a thing that a lot of players are doing since he did it a few years ago when he got the mega deal with the San Diego Padres. In fact, one of his teammates just got something similar, right? Jake Cronenworth got one. And Jake Cronenworth, he got a seven-year, um, $80 million deal, which would take him through the, uh, I believe it's a six, because it starts next year, would take him through the same amount of free agent years as Brian Reynolds. So five, buying up five of those free agent years. And, it, and it's the same agency, CAA, as Brian Reynolds. Now, before we hopped on here, Chris, I, I was just, I looked at, you know, Jake Cronenworth's stats. I looked at Brian Reynolds' stats. Jake Cronenworth is right around a, a four-war player for his team. He plays a very good second base, a fairly decent first base, hits over league average. He's a decent ball player, but he's also not the best player on the San Diego Padres. You know, that's that's not even a question. Brian Reynolds, he did have, you know, that you know, by baseball, baseball reference word that almost, you know, six war season two years ago, but had a 2.9 war season last year. Everybody's going to look at the three home runs that he's hit so far this year, two impressive ones, you know, at Boston last night. But in essence, they are equal to about the same amount of player with the same amount of service time. Like I said, one of them is not the best player on his team. One of them is currently the, you know, the one with the best track record. People will automatically jump and say, O'Neill Cruz is the best player on this team. Well, until O'Neill Cruz has a full season where he puts together at least, you know, three war to six war, you know, Brian Reynolds is the best player on this team. And that we need to start locking up our players. I just don't see, you know, that opt-out to me. It's it's like if he opts out and and you get nothing back for him, like, wouldn't it be... But you're saying nothing back for him is a qualifying offer where you get a draft pick, right? Yeah, okay. if you just basically, do you think, like, do the... Do you think Brian Reynolds, and knowing you're going to have him for those at least four years, and, and, and he's going to backlog the thing, you don't think he's worth making sure that you have this, you have him happy, you've got it all set up, you don't think that's worth a draft pick? Because I'm willing to give up a draft pick. Like this, here's the thing I don't get. And unless I'm not understanding this, and maybe I'm not, maybe I'm just an idiot sitting at a bar talking baseball, right? But if I, if I'm not if I if I'm understanding this correctly, the Pirates are saying we're willing to spend all of this money over all of these years, right? So they are willing. They're willing to buy the back end of his of his career, the years where he may be in decline. They're willing to guarantee and keep him a pyre for basically the rest of his career unless he bounces around as a DH somewhere at the very end or they, or they, or they extend him further than that. But essentially, Brian Reynolds, you're a pirate for life. And, and they're willing to invest the money to go and do it. 
And then what Reynolds is saying is, but let's say in a couple of years, something changes. I want the freedom to leave. Well, at that point, if he decides he wants to leave, you either pony up what the fair market value is or you let him walk. If you didn't front load the contract and you backloaded it, what are you really out? If he stays for the whole time, you've already said you're willing to give him all that money. If he leaves, you don't really overspend over the next couple of years. So what you're basically saying is, we just don't want to get to that point, and he, and, and he thinks he can go someplace else, and the cheap owner's going to go have to reach into his wallet. And, and if that's the way it is, if you can't sign a big boy deal like that with your one of your star players after years of telling your fan base that you want to be competitive and you're in some sort of a rebuild and they're sitting through this thing waiting for what's at the end of the tunnel and at the other side of the bridge, then sell the team because you're not you're not a serious baseball owner and you shouldn't have one of these because there's only 30 of you for crying out loud and you just obviously don't belong on the island of billionaires anymore because you can't handle this. I guess that's what I'm looking at here. I, if, if it was all front-loaded, Craig, if it was like he was going to get so much more than what it would be normally just to buy out, the rest of his arbitration in one year of free agency, right? If he was gonna, if he was just gonna hold him over the coals, and then he had just he, he could opt out or he could take like three million a year because everything's front loaded, then I would say, okay, I completely understand this because he, he's obviously gonna opt out, and you're gonna pay far more for him for those few, for those few years. Why would you do that? Then just go to arbitration, get the qualifying offer when he goes in the free agency, and keep him because he's still under your control, or trade him or whatever. But if it's gonna be backloaded, as you're saying then what, what is the risk here that the Pirates are really taking by saying, okay, fine, we'll give you that option, that opt-out? Except for the fact they know that they have them for a certain period of time, and then they can sit there and plan as they're going along, building their team and figuring out where contracts go and where they're going to spend their money. They can plan ahead because they have this major piece where they know how many years he's going to be there. They know there's this little break. If things are going well, you might sit there and say, look, Brian, uh, we know you can get a little bit more and you might be considering opting out. Let's add a little bit more onto this thing and keep you. That's what the Padres did. That's what a big boy team did in a city with, a, with a, you know, all the, all the same amenities as Pittsburgh, except for the fact that they have good ownership and they, and they spend. So, I, like, to, to me, I, that's why I don't get it. If, unless I'm missing something here, I would say, fine, give it to them. I wouldn't worry so much about the qualifying offer and the draft pick. I don't think that that really – look how many draft picks don't even work out. Is that really what you want to hang it up on? I guess, Chris, you're making a lot of sense here. And, I'm talking you me, off the ledge here because I, sometimes I listen to you and you get yourself all wrapped up in this stuff, and I go, let's think about this. First of all, it's not my money. It's Bob Nuttings. Secondly, he has more than he spends, so he's cheap, okay? And he probably shouldn't own the team if we can't get this thing done. He really shouldn't, okay? He's a bad baseball owner. Ben Sherrington's got to work within the parameters that the owner gives him. So I don't blame the GM for trying to do whatever he can here because he's got to work within the owner's, the owner's parameters of what the owner will spend. But deep down in the end, if it's backloaded, as you're saying, if he's willing to backload it, and, it, and that's just, he, he could be saying that, it really isn't, right? We don't know until we see actually all the numbers. We don't know who's telling 100% the truth, who's trying to put it in a certain light, how much is negotiation, we, we don't know that, but if it truly is, then what is the risk the Pirates actually run if he decides to, to get out of the deal when the majority of the money is still there? All that money then goes back into the pot. He leaves. It's sad. You had him for the years that you had him, and you take that money and you go sign a free agent to replace him. Or you sign one of your stars that you have now with that money because they're going to be looking for a deal at that time, and you're going to want that chunk of money. 
So if he leaves, he leaves. You move on. If you're building a good organization at some point, stars leave, and you have to be ready with the next man up that you planned to have there in his place when he left. I mean, Brian Reynolds could break his leg in three years in four places, have to put three rods into the thing, and never, ever play baseball again. That's the inherent risk of owning a baseball team. So at this point, that seems logical to me, the opt-out thing. I, I know it's not normal if you look back over the last 20 years, but in recent history, this is becoming a normal way to sign a contract. And we're not talking about, like, you know, a $300 million contract. We're not looking at, like, that Carlos Correa deal that fell through twice. We're not looking at those kind of dollars here. This seems reasonable to me. The biggest thing I'm thinking about right now, Chris, is that if the Pirates aren't competitive or aren't in some sort of competitive window by 2026, say if they do sign this contract and Brian Reynolds does have his opt-out, that's more of a problem and an issue than this Brian Reynolds deal at this point in time. If you haven't been able to build a competitive team that's at least vying for the division by Brian Reynolds in 2020, like, you know, in 2026, then that is the bigger issue that's starting to stick in my head here now that you've talked me off of this ledge as to what this contract actually really means and what this contract actually looks like if we're hearing, you know, like you said, the full picture of the backloading and different stuff. If he's still going to just get pretty much the the first, you know, two years, like next year and the year after of his arbitration, and it's pretty close on average to what he would have earned anyway, and then a little bit of a bump up, for that year before he has the option to, to opt out, then you should be worried if we don't have a team built by that point in time. I mean, that's 2026. Right. That, that, that would be a full six, seven years into this rebuild. Like, that would be the bigger issue. Exactly. And here's the thing. It really comes down to where the money is in the years. If it's front-loaded instead of back-loaded, and of the $100 million, he wants eighty and then he wants to opt out, then that's a problem. That's like an NFL contract. I've seen those before. I mean, like, that. that's what that's like. That's like a, that's a problem. I'd be like, no, I'm not giving you that because you're just going to opt out. You're going to take $80 million over four years, and I'm going to overpay for you, when I, when I and, and then I'm going to lose you in the years that I want to keep you around because you're going to get something bigger. So I would I would get that. But if it is, if it is backloaded, I, like, here's the thing. At some point, you have to start believing in what you're doing, Right? Like, do you believe that you will have stands full of fans and a competitive baseball team by the time this even rolls around? You should. If not, maybe you shouldn't be in charge of anything over there anymore because you should. I mean, what the over at my house right now, tell you this story. I got two kids going to private high school. And, you know, they, 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 they've earned it. They've earned it with their, their grades and where I have them, I'm very proud of the fact they're excelling there, and it's what I want to do for my kids, okay? I've got them in these schools. It's also the leanest time ever in this house. It really is. I mean, forget about all the jokes of being a podcaster and podcaster money, but I, I've got my own network, so I'm able to pay the bills. But, but the fact that I, I make plans saying, in two years, this one's off the books. In three years, this one's off the books. Then this other stuff kicks in. If I could do that with my home budget, and I have an idea of where we're going to be in three years while I'm making financial decisions, why can't the Pirates figure this out? That's a lot of time. Craft the thing in the way that makes sense. Let him backload it if he's really going to backload a thing. Sign the deal. If he opts out, you've got multiple years to be ready for that opt-out. 
You should have a plan in place. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure. If he opts out, this is where we're going. If he doesn't opt out, we're going on this course. And we've got years to get ready for that. And if you're developing a team and you've got a good farm system, when a star leaves every once in a while, you should be able to bring somebody else up or have the money to go out in the free agency and get the replacement that you need for that position and keep moving forward. You know, eventually all players leave. Jose Abreu played his entire career with the Chicago White Sox. He's playing for the Astros right now, right? They, they came up with a plan. They drafted Andrew Vaughn and had him sit in the background and they put him in right field for a year, but they had a plan if Abreu didn't come back. That's a professional baseball team. The Pirates should be able to figure this out with Reynolds. And they could give themselves time to do this. And, and a lot of people have said, Chris, and I agree with them, is that, you know, it's the money has been figured out. There's like very few times that the money is figured out and there's an agreement on money that these things don't, you know, work themselves out. It, it just seems that, I mean, this has been on the front pages for Pirates fans since, you know, <laughs> December, January, at least. So, and it's been very public you know, up until this point, I think a lot of times these things happen and fan bases don't even really know about it. And it's weird the way that this kind of came about where all this discussion and, you know, asking Brian Reynolds after a game where he goes, like he gets two home runs off of one of his buddies and, and you know, has his third home run of the season is looking like one of the better hitters on your team because he's supposed to be. And the questions that are asked is, you know, is this type of stuff bothering you? Is baseball giving you a reprieve from, you know, these negotiations and stuff? And that's, and that's, Brian, that's garbage because it shouldn't. I'm still in the camp of you're in a deal right now. This is how the CBA works. If you don't work out a deal, you're a pirate until you're not a pirate. Like, I, I, that's the thing. that The way that they stirred us up because they're just looking for something to print is also driving me nuts as somebody watching it, right? I mean, he, he is a Pittsburgh pirate. He's going to be a Pittsburgh Pirate for several years, whether he likes it or anybody else likes it or not, unless a team decides to trade him because they have control over him, okay? That's how this works. You don't just get to say, oh, I don't like my boss and I'm leaving. And he gets that. That's the thing. But people keep trying to stir all this stuff up because it prints. It gets clicks. It gets you all excited about it, you know? And and the team really doesn't have a chance to win its division this year, so this is what we're focusing on. If they were, If this were the New York Yankees, this wouldn't be the first question after every game because they have other things to pay attention to. And you should be asking, you know, Kanan Smith and Jigba how it feels to hit a ball off of, you know, opposite field, off of the green monster in Fenway as like a 20, like a 20 some year old kid. That's like the questions you should be asking. You should ask Brian Reynolds, what's like to hit, you know, a home run off his buddy. You should be asking Jason DeLay, who's not really asked for any sort of offense whatsoever and knows he's probably a placeholder for any Rodriguez, what's like to hit one over the green monster, that type of stuff. I, I, it, I want to hear about baseball. I, I thought that once we got to this point, I mean, I know there was like that soft deadline or they always say hard, soft, whatever deadline of opening day for Brian Reynolds. Thing. I just wanted that to kind of be out of the way. So, I mean, at this point in time, 
just <laughs> please sign the deal just so that we don't have to hear about it anymore. Like, I want to talk about actual baseball. I want to talk about how before the season we said one of the biggest things that Mitch Keller has to do is to stop giving free passes and keep people off the bases. And he, you know, walked four people. And that's why kind of those runs came in. I want to be talking about that kind of he stuff. Pitched and that four and two thirds. He pitched four and two thirds. And he walked four and gave up six hits, including a home run. That's not that's not what you're expecting this year. You're expecting him to be going in the complete opposite direction. It's just one start. So I, I hate like getting worried about one start because there's been so much positive stuff surrounding him. And and I liked how he finished off his season last year. But like that, I mean, it's concerning. You don't want to see that in the next start. You, you want you want to see him uh, start to to show what you expect from him. He really should be the top of the rotation guy that you, has been promised for the last couple of years, or at least a really serviceable, very good, solid three in your rotation. And that game is nowhere near that expectation. Yeah, and then you have Johan Oviedo, who you know gets to the de facto fifth you know spot in the rotation, even though Ronzi Contreras on the day that we're recording is going. The reason Ronzi Contreras was bumped back to the five is because he hadn't been built up from spending his time in the World Baseball Classic. So hopefully, you know, a couple extra days rest, maybe a bullpen session, a side session in between, will get him more to where he needed to be. But you have, you know, Johan Oviedo go out and surrender five runs in the first inning. I I think, and we said this, I think it was last week, Chris, it had to have been, that people are going to miss JT Brubaker as much as people made fun of him and stuff. With him going on the 60-day IL, with stuff coming out that it's more than likely heading towards, you know, Tommy John being, like, a real option here, people are going to miss that a lot more. And I know that there's guys down in AAA, but these innings have to come from somewhere. Yeah. And it, it's just they're going to start missing that stuff. And not that – And the, starters aren't, giving, and the starters aren't giving a lot of innings, are they? Five innings no. from Rich Hill, four and two-thirds for Keller, Velasquez, and Oviedo. I mean, you're going to kill your bullpen before the year's out with that. <laughs> it's, been, it's brutal. I mean, somebody's – I mean, none of those even sniffed a quality start. Just the innings you need for a quality start, let alone three runs or less that you give up in those six innings to get a quality start. That's that's and ugly. I, and I thought it was crazy that Mitch Keller got 100 pitches. That was, like, the bigger thing for me in, like, the first start of the season. And I saw the Reds do that as well. They did it with Lodolo. They gave him, I think, like, 109 but still, like a guy that you're like, okay, we've built you up to like 70 pitches in spring training. Now go out and throw 100. It, it was, I mean, I think that what Ben, what uh, Derek Shelton's thinking was at that point in time was that if he makes it through this inning, he's got five, he's in line for the win, and he wanted to get that for his kid who, you know, had fought through the first inning where he had loaded the bases and only gave up one run. And I understand that, but then he basically comes out and he gives up a triple when you're trying to do that, and it ties the game 4-4. So what does that do to the kid's confidence? That's different type of stuff. Well, here's the other thing that I thought was really interesting. Like, take the first game of Keller and Oviedo, right? And if you look at them on paper, like with certain stats, you'd say they had the same game. They both went four and two-thirds. They both gave up six hits. They both walked four guys. They both ended the game after the four and two-thirds with an ERA of 7.71. They ended with a whip of 2.143. I'm going to throw up, right? The, the, but the thing that was different about the two of them was that the fielding independent pitching of Mitch Keller, which is essentially saying how effective he is, 
and, and taking the defense out of it was a 5.20, lower than his ERA. He was doing some things there that maybe, you know, he was he was actually he was actually helping a little bit more than say Johan Oviedo, who had a 12.49 FIP for that game. Oh my god, this is if it I, weren't I, for his defense, it would have been twice as bad. Like that's what that number basically tells me. <laughs> like that's crazy. I mean, like like that that right there will teach you what FIP is. Because if you watch those games, you were kind of like, oh, you know, Keller, yeah, he's fighting, he's battling, you know? He, you know, and, the, and with Oviedo, it was like, holy cow, this guy's got nothing. Like, that's the difference. It's it's definitely, and like we said, Chris, this is like four games into the season. I know. It's just those little things. I just don't want to they, talk about Brian Reynolds anymore. Yeah, so we're like kind of coming up with stuff as to, you know, what should be going on. Rodolfo Castro is swinging out of his shoes and can't get a single hit to save his life, and you know, G1 Bay had a fir- good first game, but then ends up, you know, he struck out probably just as many times as Rodolfo Castro swinging out of his shoes during, you know, that piece of time. I There's not really a whole lot that can be – it's just that I think that if the Pirates in the previous few years got, th- got three runs in the top of the first and then the other team comes back and gets five runs – in the bottom of the first, that game is, is probably over. We, we probably are laying over or even just don't even have the guns to be able to fight back to get back into that game. And they came back and they fought back and they won seven to six. To me, that's like a, a small little victory that comes out of that. The overall picture of this thing is is it hasn't been great, but it's also the first four games guys getting you know their feet underneath them they're definitely not going to hit the ground running it's spring training is a is a weird animal because you're you're playing certain games you're getting days off you're not playing an entire game until like the last week before games start so i mean if we are if we're sitting here you know in a month having these same conversations then i start to worry if we're having these conversations now and please, God, tell me in a month we're not having the Brian Reynolds conversation because I will. I'll find. I'll find another team to talk about for that entire episode. <laughs> listen, listen. Being two and two through the first four games after the win at that starting rotation went out and performed. That that's a that's a miracle. And in the and the idea that they did fight back. I mean, that's that's what building a winning culture is. What, what did I say was my expectations for this team? What I wanted them to do? I wanted them to improve on their record from last year. And I wanted them to start learning how to win. I'd like to see them get out to a point where they're like, at least you're looking at the standings going, well, they're not out of it in May. Like you like you, you, you feel something there. Did you see them go on a run every once in a while? And then you also have development that you want to see continue. And players, players that are, you're waiting to take the next step, take the next step. But I am encouraged by the fact that they fight back, that, that they're not laying down. And that's really what Shelton's job is this year, isn't it? Give consistency. You know, allow the opportunity for the guys that they're waiting to take that next step to be able to do it. And if they don't, at least now you know, and you can move on to somebody else or come up with another plan or change change the path of a couple of different players in your system. But but that's one of his jobs. And then also keeping them in there and getting them used to being competitive in games. And if they believe that they are not just a doormat team and they can show that in their in their play, that's how you build towards the next year. 
when you expect the team to be even more talented and to continue to move up and start to come out of the rebuild into a competitive way. And, and so that's, that's what you're looking for this year. So that was a positive thing right away in the first couple of games to see that. And the other thing I look at from those first couple games, Chris, is the guys that actually contributed and, and made sure that the team was in a winning direction with a Brian Reynolds who could be here for at least the next four years. A Kanan Smith and Jigba, who is, you know, he has the one year of service time underneath his belt, but that that was all, you know, on the injured list. O'Neill Cruz with a missile, with with some good defensive play. In the first game, seeing G1 Bay, you know, bunting and running, he's a guy that could be around here for a long period of time. Of course, you know, Andrew McCutcheon has contributed by, you know, showing patience to the plate, walking, different stuff like that. But when you look at, you know, the people that have actually contributed towards, you know, winning these games or even being in these games, it's the guys that could be here a long time. If somebody's saying, you know, Carlos Santana is hitting terribly, if he is, he is. I mean, hopefully one of the guys in the minor league pushes him at some point in time and then he's not there forever. If G-Man Choi, it's like, oh my God, he's terrible. Then, then okay, he's the one that's terrible. And God forbid if it was Andrew McCutcheon that was terrible, it'd be like, well, we only have him for maybe one year. So it, it should be more about the younger guys. And that's why like a, you know, a Keller and an Oviedo having poor starts, you know, worries me more than if, you know, Rich Hill goes goes out and gives up, you know, a, a home run to to Kevin Newman or Vince Velasquez doesn't have a great start because they're not going to be here. So you need to start seeing these guys that are actually going to be a part of this team moving forward. So there there are some of those positive things in those first four games. Believe me, I'm reaching with some of that because, I mean, like you said, it it, it it's gonna <laughs> we're lucky to have that two and two record after these first two games I, I want to hear Brian Reynolds in a post game the next time as somebody says do you think that what's going on off the field is affecting you on the field I want him to look right at the person who asked it grab the microphone and be like well if it affecting me uh, means that I'm just playing out of my shoes so that they understand they should sign they should give me the deal I want because he is right like didn't he come out hot I mean he's he's white hot right now as we're sitting here at 1271 OPS a 238 OPS plus. It's only four games, but I mean, basically, he's six for 17 with three home runs to kick the season off. The guy, I mean, yeah. like he, if that's what it takes, like if he's like, this is, you know, I'm just gonna just gonna go out and play out of my shoes so that these guys actually give me what I want. That that's good news for Pirates fans right there, and then hopefully that 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 pushes them across the finish line. That's what I want. Okay, I would love it if he just looked at somebody and be like, yeah, it is affecting me. Don't you see me out there killing it every day? Like, get a little brash. Like, I'm cool with that. Now I see the changes in.